This episode of Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point is sponsored by Blue Bridge Games. For the games and gifts you won't find anywhere else, head to Grand Rapids, Michigan's friendliest local game store, Blue Bridge Games. Blue Bridge Games carries an extensive line of board games, card games, role-playing tabletop games, Magic the Gathering, and more. Stop into their storefront on East Fulton or shop with them online at bluebridgegames.com. You say you want to watch a drama. You say you want to watch a comedy. Well, you can watch it with your mama. Or you can watch it with your daddy. You'll even sit and watch it with your middle schooler. So you can come and talk around our water cooler. We're watching all day and all night. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa, whoa. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa. Welcome to a brand new episode of the podcast entitled Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point, which is based on a blog of the same name because you can't call us a midwife. I mean, you can, but you'd be wrong. I'm the blogger in question and the self-styled chief couch potato. My name is Kylie and I love TV. If you feel the same, keep listening and we're checking out our website, couchpotatoesunite.wordpress.com as you're bound to find some common ground or something you like. For Couch Potatoes Unite, we're all about the wonders and the unique long-form storytelling of the small screen. CPU! Exclamation point! Hopes you've been following releases of brand new episodes of the podcast on Wednesdays as well as new blog entries on some Tuesdays. And as always, we have several more new episodes on the way. Because the panels and I live lies behind our podcast, the episodes are published once per week. Subscribe to the website or podcast via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Amazon Music, basically wherever you get your podcasts to stay on top of brand new episodes. Episodes already published discuss a variety of shows around the water cooler, including, but not limited to, Stranger Things, iZombie, The Good Place, Game of Thrones, Grace and Frankie, Mr. Robot, Altered Carbon, The Orville, Outlander, Westworld, Fuller House, Schitt's Creek, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Crown, Big Little Lies, and The Good Doctor, plus new episodes are in the works, including revisits for The Hundred, Supernatural, Charmed, the American Horror Story franchise series panel, new name, we'll talk season one of American Horror Stories, the DCTU series panel will reflect upon season four of Black Lightning, and the Star Trek 50 Plus series will discuss season one of Deep Space Nine. We'll be launching new panels covering Killing Eve, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, American Gods, Grey's Anatomy, Cobra Kai, Peaky Blinders, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, A Discovery of Witches, and The Hauntings of Hill House and Bly Manor. And because we look back at shows now past, we'll travel through time and experience all sorts of identities with Quantum Leap, we'll cry bazinga for Big Bang Theory, we'll navigate the witty political satire of Parks and Recreation, we'll become psychos for Psych, we'll go where everybody knows your name with cheers, we hope you'll be listening when we talk about Frasier, and we'll know that that's what she said when we talk about The Office, both from the UK and the USA. By the way, did you know that CPU also from time to time goes live? We've been live from bunkers, comedy shows, comic cons, and game stores. Plus, we're planning more live appearances and other cool stuff, including in whatever we're calling these times. So make sure you like or follow us at our Facebook page, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at Couch Potatoes Unite, or subscribe to our website, YouTube channel, Apple iTunes channel, Stitcher Radio channel, or find us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. In the meantime, if you don't hear a show in this podcast format, fellow panel and I still write reviews and we always seek new panelists. So if you have any interest in joining the discussion, say hello by finding us at any of those outlets I've mentioned. At the very least, stop by and leave us a thumbs up, comment, or review. We like feedback, even with the iron fist of Nurse Crane overseeing the proceedings. 
Today we're back around the water cooler and continuing our catching up series covering a British period drama that airs on the BBC in the UK and on PBS in the USA. The series is called The Midwife and in today's episode, which is episode two of our catching up series, we're discussing seasons three and four which aired in 2014 and in 2015 respectively with a total of eight episodes apiece, including the Christmas specials. Further, and if you're not already aware, you should know that from time to time your chief couch potato and main moderator that's me needs a break particularly when i think others are more passionate about the show we're discussing in the moment case in point today's episode i'm not here to moderate rather frequent panelist krista returns the moderating microphone for this series as our fifth most involved panelist and one of our moderating team having previously co-moderated how to get away with murder and who currently moderates our the crown panel in this episode krista is rejoined by panelists sarah gina vicky allison and of course me kicking back as a panelist myself so without further ado i'd like to welcome back krista to the moderating microphone take it away krista thank you kylie today we're talking seasons three and four of call the midwife covering 1959 and 1960 at nanata's house in the east end of london we see many familiar faces and a lot of new ones remember there are major spoilers. At this time, I would like the panel to introduce themselves and rate their interest in the show. Reminder, feel free to pick more than one. It's everything you've always wanted and it brings you a lot of joy. Like Dr. Turner. You find things a challenge, but that's not a bad thing. Like Barbara. You find it accurate and entertaining enough, but it leaves you wanting something more. Like Patsy Mount. Like Sheila, you're not sure where it fits. Sometimes everything seems normal. And other times, you don't know where you, and the show, should be. Or, it's time to move on, like Jenny Lee. Who would like to go first? I will go first, because I am Dr. Turner. I love these... Wait, what is your name? Oh, sorry. I'm Vicky. Hi, Vicky. Hi, Vicky. But you can just call me Dr. Turner now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I do love seasons three and four. I think that they're just awesome. And I'm super excited to discuss all the goings-ons at Nanata's house and beyond with everybody here tonight. Thank you and welcome. Who wants to go next? My name is Gina. Hi, and Gina. I would say that I am kind of a little bit more of a Barbara with these two seasons. I find things a challenge, but that's not a bad thing. Wonderful. I'm Allison. I'm also a Dr. Turner. I really love seasons three and four. I think the show really hits their stride here in a lot of different ways. Season three was how I first started watching the show, so that was my gateway, and so I look back on it with very great fondness, and it introduces some of my favorite characters, which are Phyllis and Barbara, so always a good thing. Welcome, welcome. Hey, guys. I'm Sarah. Hi, Sarah. You hear any little noises? I have Junior Podcast or Lily in my lap, but I think she's going to sleep through this, so. Hi, Lily. Um, she says nothing. She's sleeping. I am Dr. Turner because I really, really love the show, especially seasons three and four. I think it really hits its stride, and it has some of my favorite episodes of the series so far, so I'm hanging in there at the top. All right. Last but not least. Well, you're really last but not least because it's the moderator's role. <laughs> And I'm not moderating, so I'm second to last, but never least. So my name is Kylie, I mentioned that. And for seasons three and four, I'm going to make Sarah mad and pick two. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Krista gives us permission. This is something you're going to have to work out. <laughs> so I think I'm somewhere between Barbara and Patsy. I like the show, but I do find it 
challenging in points. Also, remind me what Barbara's last name is. Who's Barbara again? Barbara, she is the Bob. It's Barbara Gilbert. Short, Bruce brown Gilbert. hair, young, oh. her, her father was a pastor. pastor. Got yeah, it. All right, Gilbert. that's Barbara. I knew her as Nurse Gilbert and the, the pastor thing really wrong <laughs> about. <laughs> so thank you very much. I did watch the seasons, I promise you. But there were a bunch of new characters, and now I have to remember their names. So, Barbara and Betsy. She's in a Doctor Who, that actress. She's in one of the last couple seasons. I think it was maybe the first Jodie season she's in one. I'll look it up for you. Okay, I don't remember her. But then again, we had talks about the first Jodie season, so... That might not be a thing. But anyway, that's for the Doctor Who podcast. And Krista. I am kind of a little bit Dr. Trenner, a little bit Barbara. For me, there wasn't enough chummy because she's my favorite. One of my favorites. And I was kind of disappointed with how season four ended. I felt like, well, we'll talk about it, huh? So thank you all for joining us again. This is a delight to talk to you all. So we're going to start by discussing our Nanatans. And I first want to touch on Jenny and Alec. I have very strong feelings. I suspected that's what you were discussing in your post earlier. So I'm going to let you take this one away, Gina. Man, this one is a slap in the face. I actually stopped watching the show for about a year after Alex's premature exodus. Because that was so painful. And then... I think I blocked things out of my head so that when I went back and was watching the episodes, I was like, wait a minute. No, he's fine. Like, is Jenny just leaves the show because she's with him, right? And so then I got, like, double whammied when, like, the horribleness comes. And I just, that's very upsetting to me. I felt like Alex was a wonderful character and they really did. Both him and Jenny pretty dirty with the incident. So the incident in question is that Alec has a fall at work and dies. <laughs> I mean, there is a progression before the reported it, death. It's one episode. It's not that much of a progression. Well, there it, it seems like he's going to pull through. because It does seem like he's going to pull through and then he does not. Right. There's complications. Because um, then- Dr. Turner had to perform an on-the-spot, like thing to help him get to the hospital and then they tried to reconstruct his blood vessels that didn't work so very well but then part of that reconstruction led to a huge clot and then yeah said death occurred said death and then jenny went to stay at the mother house for a little bit returned and then decided to go into the marie curie nursing which is nursing for the aging with her now and then met her now husband. Though what I do believe Jessica Rain Rain yes. chose to leave. She did choose to leave. She did choose to leave. Yes. Yeah. But also, like, we know since it's based on her memoir that she's not going to end up with Alec. So it was sad and, and I hated it because I liked that actor. But, I mean, I looked up his last name, like the character. I'm yeah. Like, oh, that's not her last well, name. It's not worth yeah. yeah, right, right. It's not worth yeah. So I'm like, oh, she can't end up with him. But he didn't have to talk. But it was a segue right into the whole I want to be a hospice nurse that helped move the story along. So it was very much, you know, oh, and she wasn't with them when she died. And that got to be a huge, a huge part of her whole wanting to move this way. So I didn't like it that she went to the mother house. I'm like, why did you need to do that? That just like leaves us hanging. And I'm like, that's like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. They do that several times. And I'm just like, that makes no sense to me. But 
Unfortunately, I'm not on the writing team, so I don't get to make these decisions. You're not. You're not working with Heidi. I'm not. I'm not working. Heidi doesn't call me because I, I give her a piece of my mind. So this is where Sarah would say she might not call you, but she could tweet at us CPU podcast if she listens. Could yes, we'll put you in touch with Vicky, and you can go around with her. That's so right. we are referencing Heidi Thomas, the writer and creator of Call the Midwife, for listeners at home. Yes, I so. It's funny because Jenny goes through a handful of romances in these brief three seasons. And I see that everybody has a very strong affinity for young Alec. And I I did enjoy him, you know, for the few episodes that he was alive and whole. But I wasn't so attached to him. Now this, granted, I'm not watching this week to week, season to season, like some of the ladies on this panel. I'm watching this in the chunks that we're recording it. So there you have it. I'm not, I'm not beyond season four. But even just in that short amount of time, I didn't grow to be too attached to him. I thought that his death was tragic. And I obviously, I loved Jessica's acting and performance as she conveyed just how deeply because first she wasn't sure that she loved him he said i love you she said thank you oh that's the kiss and then (laughs) and then he has this fall and she realizes just how much she does in fact love him and that's what propels her forward so i you know i i agree that it was very sad and very tragic but i also didn't have the same attachment to him and then she left I have a much stronger feeling about the fact that Jessica Rain, I guess, left the show because she's like the face of the program for the first three seasons. <laughs> and now, where did she go? And Vanessa Redgrave is her voice when she's old. And I'm having a real, that's for season four, I guess, but I'm having a real hard time with that, that sort That does of, bother me. Yes! Vanessa, just, it's not a spoiler, but Vanessa Redgrave is always there. Yeah, but that bothers me. It bo- it's, it bo- it's at least bothering me for season four. Maybe I'll get used to it, but I'm like, how do you know this is like, how do you know what's happening? Are you getting the blow-by-blow Jenny Lee of the senior citizen age? Like, what's happening? In, in, the, in the season four... Christmas special when when you get to see Jenny and Philip in their old age, she does say that she never stopped writing to Nanata's house. Like they they always kept in touch. I'm sure that they they knew Jenny and Philip's kids and all that. Like they, you saw the pictures on the mantle. So like someone is keeping her informed. So I think I think it's easier for me to suspend my my disbelief that like yes, Vanessa Redgrave is is all seeing and all knowing when it comes to the midwives of the East End. But I guess I just didn't. I mean, I heard her say that, but and in the Christmas special, it didn't bother me at all. <laughs> <laughs> But as the season progressed forward, I just was like, wow, we're getting a lot of imparted life le- lessons from from Jenny, from older Jenny, when she's not even in the in the convent. And that's okay. I mean, I get that's part of the show. But as a new viewer who's watching it in the way I am watching it, it was a little bit of a knee jerk, a, a shock in that transition from season three to season four. You at least in my opinion, you get super used to it. At this point, I don't even think of it as Jenny. Okay. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> I, I, it's just a disembodied Longer voice of Vanessa, Vanessa Redgrave that I wish was doing my life. Not so I'm now, with Krista. Vanessa Redgrave. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, we've not had her almost double as long as we've had Jenny Lee. So 
if you're to the end, end in quotes, because I don't know if this show's ever going to end until Sister Monica Joan actually dies. So let's not talk about that. <laughs> Uh-oh, spoiler, she's still alive, Kylie. Okay, good, because she's one of my favorite characters. In these two seasons, I became so fond of Sister Monica Joan. She's truly the best. Mm-hmm. So much more. And notice all the little details and nonverbals that that actress communicates and performs as she's, as she's being this, like she always grabs the sweets and she's always looking at specific vantage points in the church when she's speechifying about whatever life lesson she's speechifying. And then Sister Evangelina and her relationship is so adorable and precious and... Yeah. I like our sister Evangelina. I know she's kind of a tough old broad, but like in a very tough old broad kind of cool way. She's also got a soft and mushy inside, so that toughness is like the walnut shell and she's mushy on the inside. <laughs> so in addition to saying goodbye to a few folks, we also got to say hello to a bunch of people. Patsy, Sister Winifred, Barbara, and Nurse Crane. Yes. So I personally very amped. Love Patsy. Love Nurse Crane. I do Crane. too. Yeah. Nurse Crane is a viewpoint I, I don't believe we get to see very often in television of a middle-aged single woman. Mm-hmm. And especially in this show. And I think it added a really nice kind of parallel between the nuns who are probably similarly in aged to kind of what a secular version may look like. And we get to learn so much fun things about her as time progresses. And I can like hear her voice in my head, which is weird. What did everyone else think? Huge fan of all of the above. Barbara took a bit to grow on me, but when I go back and watch the episodes, I like her more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But absolutely, Nurse Crane, love her. Patsy as well. Patsy was another one that seemed kind of hard and cold to me at first. Even though you do find out in that first episode that she is the way she is because she, you know, grew up under traumatic circumstances in a prison camp. Um, Mother and sister. Right. But then once you get to know her and then you see some of her love story, I, I adore Patsy's. I, I love all of the characters that they introduced this season. Speaking of people done dirty. That was the second one that makes me so angry. Which we will get to momentarily. But let's keep talking about our new, our new, our new Nanatans. So I know this is my own fault, but since I watched this season after The Crown, all I could think of was, that is Camilla Parker Bowles! <laughs> oh yeah, I had the other way around. <laughs> Wait, who who plays Camilla? Emerald Patsy. Fennel, who's Emerald Patsy. Mm-hmm. Who's who? Patsy. Patsy. Oh, really? Yep. What She's actually fabulous as Kim Will- Camilla as well. So, I'm sure she is. Yeah. Uh, and she just directed that movie starring Carrie Mulligan, and I haven't seen it yet. What is it called? Promising Young Woman. A Promising Young Woman, and it got all these accolades, and she wrote it and directed it. I was like, wow. Go and Kathy. she's the showrunner for season two of, oh, what's that, Sandra O oh show? Which one? There's a couple of Killing them. Eve. Killing Eve. Killing Eve, yeah. Which we'll be covering on our podcast upcoming. So she just, like, does it all. I love it. Well, that's very... That is very inspiring. I enjoy Patsy. I enjoy, what's her name now? Why do I forget it? The nurse. <laughs> the Barbara nurse. or Nurse Gil- or nurse Crane? Nurse Crane. Barbara's okay. I'm a little, I struggle with Nurse Winifred a little bit. I find her to be a little milk toast when it comes down to oh. it. 
and she's not that maybe she has backstory that's coming in future seasons right now there isn't much so I'm like you seem nice but <laughs> <laughs> she kind of sidled in there just as Cynthia was deciding she wanted to be a postulant and to join the nunnery and so then I was like, oh, so they found another like meek nun, but I don't like her as much because I don't know her. <laughs> I just know Cynthia. Where's Cynthia? But then Cynthia came back. So everything was fine. I think, I think they have to have a certain amount of nuns. I think there's like a level that has to be made. And then there's always those extra nuns at Complins and you're like, where the heck are you? Who what are, are you, you doing? Are you but yeah, I, I do like Sister Winifred. I think she has a really cool quirky personality. I think it's really interesting that she kind of slid into the midwifery because she's really a teacher and and I, I I like her. I love Delia. I just love Delia. I love how she has that uniform that she has to wear and that she's like there's Patsy being the, the Cubs and then she's got this blue uniform on. So I, I think that that is a really sweet storyline that they could just have like done a spinoff for them. <laughs> Historical lesbians being adorable. That's your show. <laughs> and that was what we'll call it. Sure. Sounds good. <laughs> You'd be a calendar for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's touch on then our Patsy being done dirty, the ending of season four. We're just going to jump all over the place here. Patsy and Delia sort of, kind of, get a happy ending. They move in together, and no one knows they're lesbians, so they just think they're roommates. And then Delia gets hit by a car while she's riding her bicycle, and develops amnesia, and doesn't remember Patsy, and has to go home to Wales. Yeah, that's not nice. Did that actress leave or something? Like, or they just decide... We don't want to spoil anything we, we, we can't won't tell you. Oh, no, foreshadowing. <laughs> well, then, all right, fine. I won't ask any more questions. But it did seem like very Joss Whedon of the writer to be like, oh, they're happy and they're going to live together and they won't ever be discovered. And then, and oh, by the way, boom, she's hit by a car. And then Winifred is the one who discovers Patsy's scarf, which I also thought was weird. Like, what? So this is your purpose, your sister Winifred, is to come out into the street and say, oh, what happened? Oh, no, this is Patsy's scarf. That was my reaction in the moment. This was all in the series, or, yeah, series four finale. So when you're talking about it not ending so well, this was one of the things that I was like, that felt a little rushed. Like, okay, Winifred came out and discovered this, and then this happened. But Emerald and everybody surrounding her really sold it. So it was very emotional and sad, and I a little bit i think heidi our friend heidi the head writer does like in these first the first two seasons and these she does like those big climactic you know it's not like there's a small breakup it's these these big tragedies even with 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 trixie and tom it's it's a huge thing and they can get exhausting and they don't make a lot of sense unless you view it as how's it pushing the story along and sometimes that's what you have to do but yeah, that was that was like not expected and crying at the end for me. I was yeah, did not like that. Well, that does open us up to the Trixie and Tom of it all. Oh boy, choices were made. I did not <laughs> love them. So that. my favorite thing about that is that Helen and Jack are actually together in real life. Oh. Yes, I and love that. Have had a kid and are expecting another one. Like she's hugely pregnant right now, and. I mean, like I said, I started watching in season three, so at first I was like, 
full-on on the Trixie and Tom train. Now, what what I know going forward, I'm like, this, this was probably for the best. But, I mean, my gosh, they're both just acting their socks off. It is such an emotional moment for both of them. And then you see them dealing with the aftermath in very different ways. And Trixie, I think, has my favorite story arc of all the midwives. Mm -hmm. And this is just where it all kind of really starts to come together. And Helen George is just amazing. And I don't think she gets enough credit for all of the work that she does. Like, she's so phenomenal. I loved their kind of meet, not meet cute, but their first date with the cubs and the bus. Yes! And the vomit. <laughs> not the vomit, but it really spoke to how excited Trixie was. And we don't often get to see that from her. Yeah. Also, Tom is hot. But I think also, oh, very much so. I don't. I think his eyes are a little intense for me. <laughs> he dropped them. I'm like, he's like staring back at me from the TV. I don't know. I'm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I feel it exactly like Sarah does, but I'm kind of more in the Sarah camp. Like, I think hot is a strong word. I think he's handsome. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't care for him and Trixie together simply because I just couldn't see her living that life. And I'm glad they came to it like they did because it kind of shows that, like, you can be madly in love with somebody. Like, they say a bird can be madly in love with a fish, but where are they going to make their home? And I feel like that was exactly the tale that they told. And I think they told it beautifully. And going forward in the series, hint, hint, I won't spoil, but I think things worked out the way that they should have. But I also think it gave her or her character, the opportunity to show that she is, she's much deeper than even she knows. And the way, I mean, I think it just would have been a challenge for her to be a curate's wife, but I totally think she would have knocked it out of the ballpark. And and I, I just love that juxtaposition. And it's almost like she retreats to like, I'm just a pretty girl when she gets scared or feels challenged. And then when she emerges from that, you see, you know, the, the cool thing about being in 1960 is we know what's coming. We know all the cool and exciting and scary and sometimes horrible changes that are coming. And she always, to me, seems to be on the forefront of all of that. So I, I think it, again, it moved the story along, right? So it was it was just a very interesting end. And yeah, I, I agree with, with Allison. The acting on this show is it's just amazing. And every one of those characters, Fred could have his own show. Fred! I mean, Fred and <laughs> Sister Monica Joan, I'd watch them for an hour on Sunday nights at 8. Easy. So every one of them deserves more than what they get. Tim, yes. a, a show right there. Just him with one-liners to his parents. <laughs> Or he could tell us what he's read in The Lancet that week, you know? Yeah. So I do want to talk about Fred and Betsy. Is that her name, Betsy? Sarah? Violet. Violet. I knew it was some woman's name. Anyway, <laughs> I will learn the names. This was very quickly introduced, okay? But Gina said choices were made. So I want to ask Gina what choices were made that you... You have emphatically strong feelings. And is that about Trixie and Tom? Yes. More, I think my strong feelings come into play because of knowing what happens later. And I, you, I mean, it's hard. For, I can't say that without any spoilers right now. Okay, fair enough. So I will talk about Trixie then. I like Trixie's story a lot I, too. I love her. She's like very fun to watch. Extremely mm -hmm. fun to watch. And when Jenny leaves... 
I really gravitate towards the Trixie, Cynthia, Chummy characters because to me they're like the little nugget of people that started the show and I want to keep knowing about them. So I have very strong feelings also about the fact that Chummy disappeared for most of season four. I was not happy about that. I was like, where did she go? I mean, I know she was mourning the death of her mother, which was by far probably one of my favorite episodes of these two seasons was Mater's prolonged illness and then eventually her passing away. But I was very, yeah, I kept wondering. We kept seeing her husband and not her. And I was having brain like, where is she? Where did she go? <laughs> Why isn't she back? Who is taking care of that kid? <laughs> so poor Freddie, what's happening? But anyway, I have feelings about that. But I do enjoy Trixie and Tom's story. And I agree with Sarah that the evolution of it made perfect sense ultimately in the end so and I wasn't kind of like with Alec for Jenny I wasn't particularly attached to Tom and also didn't necessarily think that they were made to last so when it happened that they kind of came to that realization I thought oh I think the bigger story for Trixie though is the subtle and actually very masterfully told progression of her alcoholism which Absolutely. she then begins to start to acknowledge really in the final two episodes of this fourth series but she there are references and realizations kind of all through these two seasons where she's waking up to the fact that she's got similarities to her father to his habits and how she realizes that she uses alcohol to cope with some of the rigors of the job as well as in her personal life. I think one of the ways that Barbara was really cemented as part of the Nanatis family was when she had to deliver those three babies because Trixie was passed out drunk. And just her doing that, I think, showed how much she cared and just showed the depth of her character. And then seeing the horror on Trixie's face when she realizes what has happened. And then, of course, Sister Julianne coming in with her gentle nudging and being extremely strong and frank about what's going on but still that soft guidingness that is her i thought that all three of them did such a great job communicating all those different feelings so well that's an episode i actually rewatch frequently it's just because it's so strong from all of them and if you're ever feeling down and you want to see five babies getting born, it's kind of cheering. Isn't that the same episode where one of the twins passes away, though? The passing out drunk one, or no? No. Okay. That one I remember a lot, I guess, because... <laughs> no, Trixie was there. Right, Trixie was there. Okay. Scratch that, reverse it. Look, this is my first time through. <laughs> Since we are working in reverse order, let's actually flip it and reverse it her Kylie and start from the very beginning, as they say. It's a very good place to start. We're not going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, fine. Go, keep going. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm not. All right. So Christmas special, 1959, the unexploded bomb. And then Timothy has polio. Truly, my favorite Christmas episode, hands down. I mean, all of them. There's it's a lot favorite. that goes on there. It's a beautiful episode, though. The wedding dress. The bomb. The bomb. The guy with whose little outfit won't fit. Chummy <laughs> nursing in the corner. It's a whole thing. I love it. Every second of it. I watch it like a Christmas. I, mean, I watch it like I watch, you know, Love Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas standard. 
I think it does a great job, especially for us in America, of really showing how close World War II still was. And one of my favorite things is just Fred continually sweeping and shoveling all the, the debris that is still there. And then that bomb was just like, oh my gosh, that is insane. It's just insane. And how it just affected everyone. I, I thought that was, and I know it's a British movie, a British show, so, but bringing it over here, just it hits so differently. I, I will say not to get ahead of us, but I think it's interesting how they do more, show more aftermath of World War Two in this specifically, this, this season, whereas, you, like, you see, like, Patsy, whose family, she grew up in the South Pacific, and there was the issue with the prison camp. We see a Jewish family that lived in the ghetto. A couple of things that I was expecting to see more of that the first time I watched the show in the first season, and I was just kind of like, wow, these people have moved on pretty quickly. I mean, there's still debris everywhere, but it doesn't seem to, you know. But so that was interesting to actually see the more human perspective. And, you know, Fred's daughter's not being over, not yep. over but comfortable at all with the idea mm-hmm. of him moving on. Mm-hmm. With Violet. Violet. Got it. <laughs> if you need a brain thingy, just think of Willy Wonka. Ah, uh, but okay. Isn't that the blueberry one? No. <laughs> I'll remember Violet now that you've said it and we've made this point. Continue. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk a little bit about Sheila and yes. Dr. Turner and the wedding dress, the wedding, the wedding. Oh, Timothy, though, and the iron lung. That was, for me, that just, Sheila. I just read an article the other day about a woman who still sleeps in an iron lung. Did you read it, Vicki? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what? Yeah, she had polio and she still needs an iron lung. It seemed like just at night she uses yeah. it, mm-hmm. but the problem she's having is that people aren't making them anymore. So she can't, she's running out of the filter and the seal that she wears. It was fascinating, but it reminded me of this episode and how devastated Sheila was that like, she's like, I'm a nurse and and it's my own child and I missed, uh, I was missing it. And he was like, well, I didn't see it either. Just so, so good. And how she, they were like, you can't come in if you're, or she said, I'm I'm not his mom. And they, they said, well, you can't come in. And I was like, oh, but you are his mom. It's so sad. And just that was heartbreaking. The love they clearly all had for each other was just so lovely. And I don't, just the way I said the word lovely, I mean, clearly I'm not a romantic, but I don't know, it's heartwarming. The whole Turner family is heartwarming. Every time they come on the screen and we get to focus on their household, the adoption as it goes forward, and anything where Sheila and Timothy's relationship is sort of blossoming is truly heartwarming. They're kind of the heart of the show in many ways mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you care about her because she she found this love and joy and, and took a leap of faith away from the nunnery. So that's that's quite a story to watch it reminds me of thanksgiving as a child i love the partnership between sheila and dr turner and that it truly is a partnership you know i mean obviously it's the what is it the, at this point we're still in the late 50s right it's not 60s it's, it's, it's uh, turning it's, into 1960 okay yeah you know so there's still it's still not 
I wouldn't call them equal partners, but he respects her and her intelligence and her expertise in the medical field. I just, I love it. I, I just, it's a partnership. Obviously, you know, we start to see a couple cracks in this like perfect thing when there's the stressors coming up with the adoption, which is typical and real. But I just, I, I love their relationship. I love the way she says Patrick. Yes. Patrick. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. But that soft A, it's so lovely. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else about our Christmas episode, The Bomb? Do we want to talk uh, about The Bomb? It exploded. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> it exploded and then they had to knock down Nanata's house. They did. It was already on sort of eroding foundations anyway, and they were trying to condemn it anyway, and then that happened. So That, sist- that scene was Sister Julianne and Sister Evangelina sitting on the steps just like listening. Uh. It's like ingrained. We can move on to something. Princess Margaret. Love that episode. <laughs> visited the new parish hall because no one knew where it was. I wish we'd gotten to see the front of whoever they decided to. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been nice. Yeah. I think it's so fun to see Chummy have a win and also a win that's kind of associated with like her old life, you know, because I mean, Princess Margaret was obviously not like they were BFFs, but it was, she was a person in her old life. And like, I just, it makes me happy to see it all come together. You know, Mummy was at, or, you know, Mater was at her baptism or something. I think that it's interesting that the the show really shows us how much Chummy is leaning into the East End lifestyle. Like, she's she's married a working-class cop. She has delivered babies with no power, no running water, wrapping them in her dress, basically. Like, she, she, she doesn't need all the frills and whistles and bells, but she grew up in that world, and she knows how to navigate that world, even though it's a world that really shut her out because she didn't fit into the box that they tried to put her in, but she still knows how to play that game, and I think it's really interesting to see her kind of work that to her advantage and use the connections that she's kind of tossed aside because she doesn't need them because what she's found is better. But she she can still pull that out when she needs to, and I like that. That was a fun episode. I don't know that I have a strong reaction to it, but it was a very fun episode. Well, it's true. <laughs> and that that's kind of where I am when I'm watching this show. I either have a very strong emotional pull toward an episode, or I'm like, well, that was a fun episode. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel. The most that's memorable how I felt season. about the newest ones. Like, this, this new season, not to spoil, but it's just not... It's not thrilling me as much as it used to. I don't know why. I weirdly disagree, but we'll talk about that. Really? In, when like, we get to time. that. <laughs> Uh-oh. That'll be spicy really, like, in episode five. <laughs> fascinated by this season, but that's here nor there. The band, Cynthia's band, <laughs> sounds exactly like the band from Harry Potter. In <laughs> right before Cedric dies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's a cheery thought. You're pulling in for a goblet of fire. <laughs> it's it's like the old joke how the BBC has like 12 actors and two sets and three costumes that they all just share. They have one band as well. So It's all true. All right. So we can also, I know in the last episode we touched on briefly about a woman who had a baby of a different race and how wonderful that went. And we made a comment that went like, regarding mm-hmm. later things coming up. And that thing happened. It was a very sad episode. The mother and the baby walking, or mother and the son walking after, just no baby. Yeah, it's awful. We deal with quite a bit of sadness in this season. We also, beyond Alec, they also go to the prison. 
sister Julianne and Trixie. Yes, they do. And that has a good ending, though. It's I remember being surprised that it had a good ending because I was just like, well, this feels like we're headed for tragedy. It's like a repeat of that girl in the first season that was the prostitute that lost her daughter. But it has a good ending, and it's just beautiful. It was nice to have the spotlight on Sister Julianne outside of the house, right? Because we really don't see, like, you don't ever, you seldom see a very long, protracted labor with Sister Julianne. And, you know, you could tell that she is used to being in charge, and she's used to people listening to her. And they weren't doing that at the prison. And it, it was kind of like, well, how else can she do this? Then to add the layer of she, the woman couldn't read, it was, I don't want to say beautiful, but it was just very poignant and very true to life. And, yeah, I, I love Sister Julianne. I think she's just amazing. If I could just keep my voice as, as steady and loving <laughs> as hers, I'm sure everyone in my house would like it a lot. But I, I really thought that it was just, you know, they, they do come up with some of the more interesting things to explore prisons in 1959 to 1960. Not top of my list, but I mean, it was it was very interesting and touching and, you know, was good. I agree with Gina's observation. I was not expecting it to end well because other things had not ended well. So, and I thought when Sister Julianne, when I can't remember the, the woman's name in the prison, but was basically pleading for her to lie on her behalf, just because she was so determined to keep her baby and sister Julianne really was in a place of, I, I, I can't and I won't lie for you. But then as Vicki said, kind of challenged herself to think outside that box. It was a, that was a really touching episode. And I was very glad that, yeah, it kind of ended where it did. It made me breathe a sigh of relief because I thought, oh man, am I going to cry after all of this, <laughs> this effort and this, you know, attempt to like help her. And I was fully expecting that parole board to be the unsympathetic parole board type and just say no nope, you have to follow the rules that we've been observing this whole time and you don't get to keep your baby and it was it was nice to get a win there too i like what i like about this show is that we never know when it's gonna work out that's it, true <laughs> there's no formula like there's no if this then that like which is very much like life one of the standout episodes which is the next one on the list sort of is the young woman with Down syndrome who becomes pregnant. Mm. Sarah, I thought of you watching that one. I, I'm not spoiling anything when I tell you we're going to get another character with Down syndrome who's like a semi-regular coming up, Kylie, so stay tuned. But yeah, listeners, I have a child with Down syndrome, my oldest son, Jack. So it's always interesting to see how things are portrayed on TV. This was an interesting one because this young girl, Sally, is pregnant and her mother... Her family has placed her in a residential home, which was very common. But unlike a lot of other families, they seem to still be really involved with her life. Like, I think they still were taking her for visits and visiting her. And the, the family's really, really angry, which on one hand, of course, you're angry. You're, you're, your child has this medical problem and maybe an intellectual disability. They didn't really go into it, but something like 98% of people with Down syndrome are diagnosed with intellectual disability. So they're wondering, did someone take advantage of her? Was she raped? What has happened? And then in the end, they find out that she just had a boyfriend and she was in love with him. And he also was a man with like some health challenges and 
they were really in love. And so isn't it her right then to have a baby if she so chooses is kind of the question. They very conveniently had her go into labor and have the baby be stillborn, which I kind of have mixed feelings about, but I think they needed to wrap it up neatly for the viewer. And also in the 1960s, things just weren't how they are now. There was no way she was going to keep the baby and the parents were going to help her. So I kind of understand it. But yeah, it was a good episode. I mean, the actress was great. There were a couple different actors with Down syndrome. They all did a great job and I like to see it. Bring, bring more. This show actually, like you said, has more than one actor with Down syndrome. And I, I do think that it's something that I think maybe is a focus for them of having non-traditional actors and actresses. Yeah, this one, that episode personally for me really stuck, stuck with me. And yes, having the baby be stillborn was a little convenient, but abortions weren't really discussed. Not openly anyway. They are later in the next season. <laughs> They are constantly talked about on this show, but it wouldn't be anything that a polite family would have even probably known how to go about doing, unless they just did a DNC or something, and because of her health issues. The first couple times I watched that episode, I read Sally as pretty young uh, teenager, and then this time around, I read her as maybe in her twenties. So I'm I'm not sure if I'm just like way off, but I I did see her as a little bit older than I'd originally seen her before. And I think something that the show does really well, and we'll get into this in other upcoming seasons, but we've seen this with the institution that they were in. It was a very good, by the standards of the time, institution. Everyone was cared for and happy. And, and then we also see institutions that are really bad. We see that horrible mother and baby home that Chummy takes over. We see in upcoming seasons how the issue of mental health and post-traumatic stress is dealt with. So I think it's really interesting how they can juxtapose what, what, what a good institution would be and what a bad institution would be in this time when really none of them were probably great. But yeah, I, I, I was really sad when they sent Sally's boyfriend away also because it's like you, you don't know where, where, where he's being sent, if he's being sent to a good place or a bad place. And he seemed like a really nice guy. Yeah, good actor too. Yeah. I enjoyed He did two or three episodes and he was great. Yeah. It's interesting that you read Sally as in two different ways in your different viewings, one being younger and one being older. I mean, I think that's ultimately kind of the crux of the of the exploration, right? Because Down syndrome is developmental and we don't really know what her age was and the show is very deliberate about not specifying what her age was so that you're kind of left with that that thinking exercise of, you know, does she really have that age autonomy? Does she really have that understanding that she, you know, had sexual intercourse and conceived a baby and and all of that stuff. And so I thought it was a very well done episode, not only from a performance standpoint, but the historical standpoint, because of how, you know, disabilities and, and conditions similar to that have, were, have been traditionally regarded in those past decades and how people were treated when it came to basic things like that. So it was a really, really poignant episode, I think was a good word used. It's still a conversation people have today. Should should people be allowed to sterilize their children who might have a disability or or not? It's a huge debate between 
people. And I think a lot of people like to weigh in who maybe aren't in the situation. And it's complicated. I don't really have strong feelings. I mean, my son is seven. And I think it's a little easier to keep, maybe keep track of a boy in that respect. I don't know though, maybe not. But you know, it's, that conversation is still going today. And and no, they haven't reached a a resolution. And I think it's good that they're keeping those conversations out there. And yeah, I, I love when we get the regular who has Down syndrome. He's one of my favorites. So I think he joins us next season or maybe season six. But I, I think so. I think you're right. It's it's, yeah. it's pretty soon. Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Have him with us, actually, through season 10. Yeah, he's, yeah. I just, I just watched him on television just the other day. To the episode that Kylie had mentioned, Lady Brown returns and passes away at Chummy's home. Heart-wrenching. I think I was the most engaged with this episode of the 16 that I watched sitting down to do this podcast. This one was was heart-wrenching because I love Chummy so much. And I don't remember what her real name is, but she... What is her real name? Miranda Hart. Miranda Hart. Yeah, I think Miranda that's right. Hart. I've seen her on Graham Norton, but I can never remember names until... We do a few of these, but... Yeah, she's a pretty well-known comedian, I think, in England, and that's why she's not in very many episodes. She has her own show. Yeah, she, she, she had a sitcom, which I think was just called either Miranda or the Miranda Hart Show. I'm not sure. But they kind of overlapped and then did, like, a wrap-up movie-type episode, and she is, like, her, her love interest in that show is Lucifer on Lucifer, so that's nice. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> that is um, nice. <laughs> And and she she's also done writing as well. She writes. She's been in a movie with Melissa McCarthy. So like she's she's busy. She's she's booked working. Well, when she's okay. on the show, I love her, and that was a really good episode. I'm, a li- I'm trying to figure out. Is it even in? I thought the what was the episode with the woman? Her husband worked for the docks or was a sailor. Bridge one. No, not that one. With they Sister Jewel. With Sister Julianne. Oh, is that it? The the one with the major postpartum depression. Yes. And I, oh, I think we're not we're just not there yet. Okay. I was thinking that was earlier in season three. I did not skip that as far as I know. Okay. I I love that whole episode with Mater and one of the things that I love best is it just shows what a good man Peter is. Yes. Oh, he's so sweet. What a good man and what a good husband and what a good son-in-law and you know to open up his home his heart to this woman who's never shown him anything but contempt and I think it was transformational for her I think that really helped her to connect to chummy and then you bring in the whole Jenny Lee part of it and that was it that night that she spent with her that was it and it was almost like I'm standing up to you sister Julianne you told me I can't do it I did it and now I'm out of here. So it was transformational for many, many characters, which was very cool to see. And the con- so I miss Jenny. Yeah, I miss Jenny too. The connection moment where they wrangle a manicure for Mater that then Chummy gives Nivea her. And yeah, oh, that Nivea cream. It's and- such a good, it's such good writing because there's such complicated feelings there. And yeah. so many people have really complicated feelings about their parents or like family things and it's just really well written and portrayed by those actors because she 
she's so rejected by her mom, but she still needs her. Like, it's it kind of reminds me of, you know, kids who suffer maybe neglect or abuse and they're removed from their homes and they're in foster homes. They still want to go back because that you want what you know and you want those family relationships. Sorry, that got depressing, but that's kind of what it made me feel like because in a lot of ways, her mom was very verbally abusive to her. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I just think she didn't know how to be show her love and so sad that that was the resolution but it was really good writing and acting well and there's also this sense of to crib from another show breaking the wheel right because you get the sense that lady brown was conditioned to be that way in many respects and not able to to express love or show love toward her daughter because in many ways she wasn't shown the same and then you have the complication of chummy being like not in the perfect box of that upper crusty society and so I love the fact that chummy is able to break a few wheels first by becoming more acclimated toward the east end like Allison said earlier but then also opening her heart not only through Peter but just even through her own realization that There's something deep down in her mother that isn't expressed and she just has to be patient enough to wait for it, even though it's excruciating for her to do so. And I think that's, that is complicated and also very genuine. Back to that sort of true to life aspect that Krista mentioned earlier. The postpartum episode, I believe this is the same one. Oh, it is? She does end up going to the bridge and trying to jump off the bridge with her baby, and it is... Oh, right, right, right. I adore the actress that plays the mother. If anybody watched Jamestown, I'm a huge Jamestown fan, and she's phenomenal in it. She was also in Inspector Calls, and I love her in that. And in the... What was the movie? I don't know. I can't think of what the movie was called. She Anyway, I think she's a phenomenal actress, but that was a really, that was a strong episode. I mean, they're always strong episodes, but it's interesting because I'd never, I've never seen postpartum shown that way. I guess to me, I always just thought it was more depression and feeling sad, whereas she had this like intense anxiety and was almost, I guess maybe not hallucinating, well, no, she was, she was, it's postpartum psychosis. Yes. Oh, that's, okay, yeah. so it wasn't, so it's different. What it's different. It's more acute yeah. and more rare. Dr. Turner does make that diagnosis shortly okay. before she runs to the bridge, actually, because okay. then they start to scramble to try to figure out if she's, you know, there and, and taking care of the baby and figure out mm-hmm. that she's gone, and that's what he says, so. As we wrap up our third season, Sheila and Dr. Turner finally are approved to adopt a baby, baby Angela, and we move into the Christmas special, where Chummy and Patsy go on a trip. It's a really, it's fun, in a sad, call the midwife way. I mean, you know, she falls on the ice, but... The, the overarching theme is we get to see mature Jenny and Philip kind of framing the sequence for us. And Chummy and Patsy go to a mother and baby home that is awful. And Patsy gives it her usual spick and span and they get things all cleaned up. The other mother, there was the, there's the young woman with the chicken pox and then there's the older girl with the Avril I love her she's like one of my favorite like one-off characters and I think this might be my favorite Christmas special I think Avril could have her own show again I just thought that that was phenomenal writing phenomenal acting so much was said with just a look or 
you know, a flick of the head and Chummy breaking through again, going to Kylie's point that she is the best ever. And I just love how Avril was like, I'm not taking this shit and I'm calling people. And that lady left, you know, and I thought that was great for the other girls to see there too. But yeah, I love Avril. Avril reminds me of Callie. Well, that's interesting because you say Avril reminds you of Callie. So watch this action. So you say Avril reminds you of Callie. When I was watching Avril, I kept thinking she looks like Eliza Dushku, who plays Faith in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, and she's in a and Dollhouse, and she's in a couple other things. But you also said once upon a time that Faith kind of reminds you of Callie, too. So that's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, and for those of you listening, Callie is Kylie's sister-in-law, and she's a panelist on here. But it was partially her red hair. I mean, that partially did it, because Callie has beautiful red hair. But also, it was the fact that she stood up and said, I am not taking this. No. And she, like, organized everybody. And that I think that's Callie's spirit to me. Like, she would... She would do that. She would call. So that's why it reminded me of her. I also agree with Allison that Avril was a real standout. I thought, oh man, they should give, they should make her part of the show or make her part of the regular cast. Like it would be great to check in with her. She was Mm -hmm. such a charismatic actress and she brought a lot of like fire into not only the story, but just even the way she acted it and related off the other people in the scenes I just she was a big standout and I did I kept thinking she looked like Eliza Dushku it's not who she is but she looks a lot of like her so I I hope she's moved on to successful acting career because that was a really she was really fun to watch and really fun to relate to in this story because I would have done the same thing I would have gone straight into that woman's office and blown the whistle if I was in the situation as well so I would love to talk about Cynthia becoming a postulant because <laughs> what the heck good job talk Vicky about, let's just drop a few bombs I'm like can can there's no all of a sudden it's just I think I want to be a postulant I would just went dancing a few like episodes ago and seemed to have a good time and now I'm a postulant oh I I think there's more buildup than that, but it did kind of come out of left field the first time I watched it. How pleased do you think that actress was when she was like, oh, now you have to wear this outfit. Sorry. Cynthia, real life Cynthia, does become a nun. Yes, that's that's true. What? In the Jenny's original memoirs, did she? Yeah. Oh, Oh, I I didn't know you were talking about the actress. No. No, no, no. No, no, sorry. Cynthia in the book. In the book, okay. I didn't remember that. I agree with that. Well, hopefully they did a better job of foreshadowing it than they did here. Sorry, Kylie. Oh, that's funny because I was just going to agree with your daughter. (laughs) I agree with Allison. I think there was a little bit more buildup than that. And when she made that announcement, I was along for it. I thought, yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, I think she gives the secular life in some ways the old college try. She's always sort of the more reluctant, more shy, more uncomfortable even and out in those social situations and she seems to gravitate more towards the sisters whenever it's in those scenes where they're having the quiet moments the singing in the chapel you know praying and stuff you tend to see her in the background it's much more visual I think than it is stated but it I was not I was not I did not take it as left field as the first time watcher I thought yeah that makes sense to me all right 
So there's that. <laughs> All right. So with Jenny leaving, we need to we need to replace Jenny, don't we? And I we... love Jenny. Yeah. I, the first when I first started the show, I was kind of like eh, this girl, but I I just love Jenny as the show goes on. And it makes me get so to sad. Meet Barbara. Yeah, Barbara. It's fine. I mean, Barbara's no Jenny. This is true, but. He but is Barbara no doesn't Jenny. have to be Jenny because we've had Jenny. Barbara has her own strengths that she brings to the house. And also her introduction is hilarious because all of her belongings fall out onto the street and Sister Monica Joan is having an episode and won't really help her. And Barbara's like, and now there are dogs. A dog has my bra <laughs> and this is how I'm starting my new job. <laughs> and then Chummy temp- temporarily leaves the Nanata's house to take over the mother and baby home. And we are joined by Phyllis, which we already talked about. Yes, Phyllis. Yes, Queen. Yeah, I love Phyllis and Barbara, and I love their friendship and what it turns into and everything that develops. I know it's a tiny spoiler, but they really become great friends, and I just love it. It's only tiny because you definitely see that progression over season four. Like, Phyllis takes a special shine to Barbara in many ways, because I think they're the new kids, they both know it, and decide to stick together in the end. Not to mention the fact that Barbara has a few growing adjustments, though she comes through them smashingly in the end. But I, I like that Phyllis takes her under her wing and kind of helps her. So Can we and talk then, about the hilarious rivalry between Phyllis and Sister Evangelina for a moment? Yeah. Please do. Oh my gosh. Rolodex. The Rolodex. The Rolodex. It's it's so funny to think of that as the revolutionary invention. <laughs> Although I still have a Rolodex somewhere in this house. <laughs> oh. And this is the episode with the stillborn baby, with the twin. I really enjoyed the couple. This is mm-hmm. super lovely. Yes. yes. One of my favorite patient. I have two favorite patient stories in these two series. This is one of them. And yeah, that was, I knew it was a twin. There was another, I knew there was another baby. I knew that's where it was going. But uh, that one broke me a little bit when the first twin was stillborn and even the Barbara lost it and everybody, Trixie lost it. Everybody kind of lost it because of how it happened. Even even Tom lost it in a, in a different way. It's one of the first times we see him have a crisis of faith. We're usually seeing, like, maybe one of the nuns or something. But Tom is really shaken just by the fact that he doesn't know the protocol because there is no protocol because it's Church of England 1960. So there's, there's nothing for him to do, and he does kind of have to wing it in order to give the family the closure that they need. I think it's interesting to see him wrestle with that and grow. Absolutely. But what a beautiful moment. I love that whole speech that he, it's not really a speech, but the dialogue that he has with Sister Julianne about how the church doesn't have, you know, a ritual for this type of situation. And then he kind of exactly invents one on the spot for them. And it's so cute. And so I really nice. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go. I've finished. I really enjoyed with this season, how he worked with them and treated them as equals. I think in a lot of occasions that doesn't I mean it still doesn't happen right and I I think that's both Heidi Thomas's writing but also Tom's character 
that they are his equal and, and he respects them and, and really treasures that. And I thought that episode really started to highlight that. Eric, I'm going to jump around a little bit. And if I miss something that you really want to talk about, let me know. We get to one of my favorite episodes of the season, which is the Irish Travelers. Oh, That's my other favorite patient story because... Okay, I was hoping it was and that I wasn't skipping over your favorite. Well, Um, first of all, massive guest star and Maria Doyle Kennedy. Maria Doyle Kennedy! I know, she like in all the things. She's in all the things. So it was... she Catherine of Aragon? I was going to say, that's Catherine of Aragon in the house, people. Exactly. Oh, yes. I mean, Tudor's not the greatest show, but she was an amazing Catherine of Aragon. She was a great Catherine. He voted her over the other one. Well, there was a whole... We, we covered this. We covered this on our Tudors versus Wolf Hall podcast. Hashtag plug. Go find it in the archives. <laughs> so... I want to hear a lot about She was an outlander. If you want to hear a lot about Tudor hats, this is a great episode for you. We had a Lori, panelist. you hear this? I'm teasing you with love. <laughs> She's not, but that's great. <laughs> no, Maria was also in Outlander. Maria is in a lot of stuff. She's an orphan black. Like She's in a lot of stuff. I wait, can't... wait, who is she in Outlander? Oh. Now is, you're going to make is, me... This, this is the queen of Outlander here. Does does Jamie have an aunt or something? Mm-hmm. Aunt Tocosta. Oh, yes. oh my yes. gosh! Yes. That's yeah. right! I forgot! Yes! Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was trying to think of her name. Aunt Jerusha, right? Aunt Tocosta. Tocosta. Mm-hmm. I didn't say Oh, her yes. Name. I love her. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I don't know why I never made that connection. If it's a British show of some sort, she's found her way into it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and well-deserved. Yes. Well, she should. Yes. So I believe that in addition to the Irish Travelers, this is the diabetic teenager who goes on the run. Yes. Who is the, played. Is also Dr. Turner is camping. But speaking no. of Outlander, the diabetic teenager is played by Larry. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yep, yep, no yep. wonder I didn't like her. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Everybody's having the real. I kept looking at her like, where do I know her from? Where do I know her from? And I had to look it up. And then I was like, oh boy, yep, it's. Larry. She redeemed herself, the actress, for me in Victoria because I really enjoyed um, her character in Victoria. But I don't other know than that, any of this, what shows are you talking about? you all like outlander because it's all about time traveling romance in scotland which is not really your cup of tea but maybe you could try it i don't know i won't dissuade you sarah i just don't i like time traveling hello you gotta read the books i'm traveling oh i don't have time i wish they're they're bricks i've never read the books but i I enjoy the show back to this program she asked a question and we were answering it that is rude rude I know. <laughs> this is what I, happens. I love to how me. you pointed out like I was a moderator, like I'm the teacher or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is all see when you assume the awesome responsibility of moderating, you get the crap thrown at you. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so diabetic teenager. Irish travelers. I believe this is the one with them where Catherine of Aragon is pregnant. Yes. Yes, and has the baby and does allow the midwives to come in. Yes. And then her mother passes away. Aunt. Her aunt. Mm-hmm. That was a touching story, and I never knew that they, like, would burn the place where the person lived when it was the, the last... The caravan. The caravan. But going back to the diabetic teenager, I just thought, 
we we can't even realize how scary that would have been both as the girl and the mother, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen when you have diabetes and you're pregnant, right? I mean, they just, they, it just showed how far medicine has come and how whenever we say, oh, it would have been fun to live back then. Oh, it would have been fun to, no, it would not. Uh-uh, no. I funny my mom actually told that to one of my doctors once when I was like a bait a little girl of oh Krista is an old soul or something and they're like and he was like if Krista had been born an old soul she would not be here and my mom was like (laughs) all right well maybe her soul is old but we're glad she was born when she was or something to that effect she made some okay well that's dark kind of comment but (laughs) yeah it was interesting that she couldn't give herself her own injections mm-hmm. yeah you know, they and they were starting to teach her but she was like what do you mean no you always come do it but that means she can't leave she can't travel she can't go anywhere she's stuck there her whole life and um, they were checking her her urine and it just everything. turned to color right it wasn't like they're checking blood and there's levels and you know just the things that you even and not to be gross but even like the iv the big tubes i literally have to look away if anyone has an IV because I can't take that big tube, they would have had to heavily sedate me the whole time that that was in me. So just things like that. It just, and it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. All right. That kind of sort of wraps up season four. Oh, can, can we very quickly talk about the, the three, well, four neglected children that oh Trixie befriends? Oh. Because that is one of my favorite episodes. Really? I thought that was the next, the first episode of the next season. Nope. No. It's in this season. The first episode of this season? I don't know if it's the first, it's, but it's, it's in, like in the season middle four. season four, I think. Mm-hmm. Jack. I'm thinking of a different episode, apparently. Please go ahead and I will figure out what you're talking about. This is where the mom um, goes off and she's like working somewhere and basically leaves the oldest kid to take care of all the other kids. And they, right, and he's really a kid. I mean, and he's taking care of his two sisters and the baby and it's completely unlivable conditions and they have no food and it's it's a pure He gets case. locked out. Yeah. Gets locked out. Well, I I think the mailman or, or milkman says that he, he thought the building was condemned. So they're squatting there basically and, it, and he's locked out because like they basically boarded up the door. Okay. He's having to pour milk through the mail slot in order to give his little sister something to eat. Ugh. It's episode one of season it four. It is episode one yes. of this. I apologize. I missed it's that. Okay. So, and then the baby ends up needing skin grafts because yeah. they didn't change her diaper. It's heart. It's heartbreaking it's i had to keep and i have a baby obviously right now so it really struck home but i had to keep saying this it's they're acting it's it's they're acting because i can't like obviously that really happens happened but i it was so horrible and it just and then the codicil of the episode when the three kids are shipped to australia Australia, and the the nurse and the lady the voiceover vanessa redgrave says they thought it would be wonderful but it wasn't i'm like oh great thank you yeah that's terrible and then not not spoiled too much but you you get a, a different character in an upcoming season that was part of that same program so you get a different perspective on it but talk about acting the heck out of everything first of all the little boy is wonderful yeah so good my one one of my favorite moments is when so they 
they break into the house basically to get the children out. They bring them to Dr. Turner's office and they have to open up the cleansing station, which is a big deal because they haven't needed to use it in forever. And they're trying to get all the fleas and the lice off of them and they're about to shave the girls' heads. And he's like, no, you can't shave their heads. People will think we're poor. And it just hurts my heart. And then how Trixie forms that that bond with him because she she knows what it's like to be in her words, putting on a show. She knows what it feels like to pretend that everything's okay and hope that no one's going to ask, but also you, you need someone to ask because if no one asks, then you're just going to keep doing it. And when, when she has that conversation with Tom about it, that's one of the big moments in their relationship for me. And I think that kind of pushes Tom into realizing, oh, I'm in love with this woman. Yeah. This, also ha- this season also has the episode where the, the guy is outed as a homosexual and he's arrested. Yes, we have to talk about that one. So he he is homosexual and the that it's still illegal like to be homosexual. Like it's that's insanity, but to us, but that was the reality and the wife was like so shocked and embarrassed and and like demanded that he get these hormone treatments oh, and so sad. Just well, the the thing. hormone treatment was the alternative to prison. It's, to prison. What, it's what happened to Alan Turing as well. If you don't want to go to prison for this, you have to subject yourself to these really kind of inhumane treatments. I think it was decriminalized in 1967. 67. So we're, yeah. we're, we're close-ish. We're getting it. Yeah. Soon enough for a lot of people, probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a really crazy one. We also get the Switched at Birth episode. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh! She did that just one. watch that one. That Every one year. is that one is something else, and the fact that it is Evangelina number one that does it, and that it's all from a fire, like some fire that starts. And oh my gosh, I couldn't even. That was, I think, one of the more original, like truly. It truly felt original as a story to tell it and call the midwife, but also generally in TV. Like, you don't see a lot of switched at birth kind of things that come out of a real life place. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't even imagine the choices that those two mothers had to make. And the fact that they... This this dynamic that they started with, where they were friends in school, but then they fell away, and the one really saw her as her best friend still, and the other one was like, "We grew up. I don't like you anymore." I mean, that was some that was some really good writing. Like just all of the human aspects of that. That was that was another one that held my interest the entire time, like glued, affixed, and wow. Yeah, and we had the osteogenesis imperfecta one where the baby's bones are breaking and then in season three we didn't talk about this but the baby then they had the cystic fibrosis Uh diagnosis fibrosis babies and there was also the woman the cerebral woman with diphtheria yeah so we're we're getting all these things that like nowadays we're more familiar with well maybe not osteogenesis imperfecta is not super common yeah cystic fibrosis isn't they've come a long way with it Mm -hmm. you know like the life expectancy is is older and you can screen if you're a carrier and stuff but just back then it wasn't I remember that family they were desperate she was like this can't be it I can't keep these diaper like I guess the diapers are really messy and the babies are coughing Ugh, it's horrible poor people going back to the the one about the switched babies but really you get these glimpses of Evangelina and I wanted more 
I really wanted to know why she was the walnut with the soft inside, like when her brother shows up. But the pain in her voice was, I mean, it was visceral. And how could you not feel it? And of all the people to do that, I would never think Sister Evangelina would do it, ever. And I mean, almost everybody else I could see somehow doing that, but not her. Absolutely. Yeah, that that was just a huge moment. And then going back to the relationship with Sister Monica Joan, when she breaks the cup and and Sister just comes in and cleans it up and says, I hated that cup anyway, and I hate this stupid thing, that this drainer thing, and I'm going to hug you. There was It's moments like that that this show just excels at, that so few shows, those those little tiny things that you remember in your own life and then in a show. Well, I did want to kind of wrap up by talking about, it is, oh, I know how to pronounce this word, thalidomide. 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 I'm like, I know how to say it. It's in the Billy Joel song. Come on, Krista, get <laughs> it together. Thalidomide. Yeah. It's we important thing. They give, somebody has prescribed that in the last episode, right? In the last episode. Yes. So... And- not again, yeah. not to spoil, but that's gonna come back to haunt. I just wanted to mention everyone. it. Yeah, it's important, and it's. it's I mean, it's in a Billy Joel song, so <laughs> it's interesting because I'm. Not, I don't think it was ever approved for use in the in the U.S. It was not. Yeah. So when I first saw this, I'm like, "Lidamide, what's that?" And then I, some of my friends in the UK, when we were talking about that episode, they said they were watching with their parents. When Dr. Turner said the word thalidomide, their parents gasped. Like, they they knew, so. Because their parents would have been born right, around the same right. time. So, so. It's, it's, it's just interesting. That's another one of those little cultural, like, differences. I don't. That's going to be so, a rem- big deal moving forward. Okay. So is this something where I should wait to watch it, or do I need background information? Nope. Don't no, do no, it. Just watch it. But I will say there is a really good documentary on thalidomide, and where what what occurred and what happened so after you watch this next season if you're interested in doing a deeper dive and i can't remember where i saw the documentary and they gave it to the woman who kept vomiting right Uh, right it was it was to help with morning sickness okay and and insomnia and it was prescribed for a lot of different things it was it was a it was a wonder drug basically that's that's what they said it was supposed to be and it was a german drug originally And it did, it was never approved in the United States because we had a really good, not Surgeon General, maybe it was the Surgeon General, I can't remember. FDA. Who was, it was like, no, 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 we need to find out more information. We don't just, whatever. Yeah, and it was about to become legal. Like he couldn't hold, I think it might have been a woman. Gosh, I can't remember. But whoever it was, they couldn't, almost couldn't hold back the tide. And Mm. then stuff started to come out and they were able to not prescribe it so from what i understand too is it was never actually supposed to be given to pregnant women nope was not well i know nothing about it so i look forward to the information It's, it's a really interesting story arc and i do say arc because it's not just contained to to one or two oh wow wow okay and on that cheerful note Does anyone have anything else they'd like to add? I just want to share that one of my favorite moments was when Sister Monica Joan was all by herself in the Nada's house. I don't know how this ever happens. but And somebody, of course, shows up in labor, 
and she walks her over to the maternity home and then Sheila delivers the baby and she names her Monica and that look on her face because you know she to me her character is always just like why am I not dead I'm not doing anything I'm no good and now I have a UTI and I'm crazy and then I go you know I cycle through but that moment was priceless and I'm like did no one ever name a baby after you I, I find that hard to believe but maybe I don't know that was the episode where Trixie passed out yes, yes. Okay. multiple babies all over the place yes. but that they're, they're moment they're a baby even you know it was like Barbara has three and Trixie or er, and so and so has and then sister Monica Joan has one she was honored that's what she said I'm honored yeah. I really like her she's just that's, so much great. fun comedy relief i'd also love to meet <laughs> the woman who plays her i think she's beauty parfait sure yeah. i think it's awesome that there are parts on the show generally speaking but also specifically with her that can be played by the over 50 crowd and they're mm. very meaty right so they're yeah. able to to experience and and do something very dimensional with these characters and she's just a delight well at this time i would like to thank Kylie and Sarah and Allison and Vicky and Gina for joining us around the proverbial tea cart, as I always say, for another looking back on Call the Midwife. And I'm going to hand it over to you, Kylie, for our closing notes. And thank you, Krista, for moderating the Call the Midwife Catching Up series. You're doing such a good job. This is right up her bailiwick, I think, what with this mid-century British stuff. But yes, we've talked about seasons three and four of Called the Midwife. There's more to this Catching Up series. Stay tuned, though. We have credits to roll first. Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation Point! was produced by Back Pocket Productions, run by yours truly, the Chief Couch Potato, which is really another way of saying executively produced by me, Kylie Piet. My associate producers are Krista Pennington and Celine Resmer. I edit this podcast, and our logo is by Rebecca Wallace. Our marketing graphic artist is Krista. Our theme song was written by Sarah Milbratz and sung by Sarah, Amy McDaniel, and Kels Resmer. Kels played the keyboard, Ian McDonough played the bass, Christian Somerville played the guitar, and the whole shebang was engineered by Kyle Aspinall and Christian. We hail from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Please, if you like what you hear, take the time to rate us, give us stars, provide comments, or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Amazon are just a few of the places you can find us, but we're also on YouTube. We have our website. Otherwise, feel free to tell us how we're doing, what we should add, subtract, keep, or toss. You know how it goes. And if you have suggestions for shows we might consider, contact us at our website where we have a guest book by email at couchpotatoesunitepodcast at gmail.com, our Facebook, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at couchpotatoesunite, or wherever you get your podcasts. Though, of course, we add new and old shows to chat about around the water cooler all the time and always have new episodes coming down the pipe. Just listen to our intros. If you miss old episodes or want to know in general what shows we cover, just search for us. Find us wherever you do searchable things on the internet. Don't forget that exclamation point or contact us via our website, our email, our social media accounts, and stay up on all the new events and episodes by our humble little podcast, Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point! Until the next time, Call the Midwife is available to stream through Series 9 so far on Netflix, though Series 10 did premiere in the U.S. on PBS on October 3rd, 2021, 
as of the time of recording, are you watching it live? Drop a comment. Tweet at us, CPU Podcast. Find us on Facebook or at Couch Potatoes Unite on Instagram. In the meantime, our Call the Midwife panel will next reconvene very shortly, in fact, to talk seasons five and six in episode three of our five-part catch-up series. So until next time, until next episode, new episodes are published every Wednesday. Keep listening. Keep watching. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.